Welcome back to Making Sense of Money. I'm Andrea Pellegrini. On our last episode, we talked about some tips and things to think about when buying large appliances. We mainly talked about examples of what to consider and compare if you're in an emergency situation, like all four of the the situations that I shared about my personal experience where a critical appliance had stopped working. But we also talked about general shopping comparison tips that could be helpful in other non-emergency situations too that might be helpful. So check it out. I'm Nikki Giancola-Shanks. Today, we're going to talk about steps to selling a house. Neither Andrea nor I are realtors ourselves. So as always, you can suggest that you may want to consult an expert on your exact situation if you're getting ready to sell your home. But we're going to talk through some basic steps and things to think about while you're getting ready, preparing, and throughout the process. So to start, Andrew, do you have any personal experience in selling a home? Unfortunately, the first and only time that I have had to sell a home so far has been selling my my brother's house after he died, uh, which we just closed on a couple weeks ago prior to this recording. I think I might've mentioned in our last episode, just briefly when we were proning this one that I, I was getting ready to close or had just closed. I think I was getting ready to close. So I only had one type of cell experience and it was very unconventional. I lived in a town home with my cousin who was like a sister to me for like over 12 years. And when I got married, originally we were going to put our town home up for sale But then what ended up happening is my cousin kind of looked around and she was like, I kind of just want to stay here. (laughs) So I sold her my half of the townhouse. So it was a sell, but it wasn't like we didn't have to do it, right? Like we didn't have to go through all the steps because we didn't have to set up. It it was just totally different. It wasn't a traditional type of sell. Basically like deed transfer, right? That's like all you had to do? Pretty much. I mean, I did right? Like there was some money transferred and stuff, but like, it wasn't anything. It's not like I had to stage a house or put it on some website. You know, like we didn't have to cut out a lot of work for you. Yeah, it did. Yeah. My situation, there were six sellers, which is a lot of sellers. Like there's not enough space on the listing contracts. For all of us to to sign everything. And I asked my realtor if she had ever dealt with six sellers before. And she said, there's a first time for everything. So I think it's very abnormal to have that many sellers because it was both my parents, myself, and my three siblings. We all inherited the asset when John died. So that six sellers and it being an inherited asset, it was also an unconventional kind of process for us, especially when it came to the disclosures piece. But I'll probably share like different experiences as we talk about different parts of the selling process that were kind of unique to my situation as we go through the podcast today. Let's say you've made the decision that you you want or need to sell your house. The next decision to weigh is if you want to sell your house on your own for sale by owner or use a real estate agent. And there are pros and cons to each that you might want to consider before making that decision. As we talk about realtors, we may use some terms interchangeably to talk about them. 
They could be real estate agents, I might say agents, realtors, brokers. If you listen to our 17th episode on real estate, we talked about the different ways that we refer to realtors and how they're officially licensed. If you'd like to learn more, there's different like stages of realtors and that kind of describes, there's terms to describe exactly where they are in the pecking order since there's managing brokers and all kinds of stuff. And that has to do with their licenses, which you can look up on IDFBR's website. And we will actually make sure to include in the show notes where to look up on IDFPR's website. Excellent. Thank you, Nikki. I actually looked up people's licenses when I just hired earlier this year to sell my brother's home. Got to make sure to double check the licenses. All right. So let's dive into some specifics of things to think about when it comes to using agent or selling yourself. When you use an agent, that means that they will receive a commission from you as the seller. Usually this is 5% of the home, but it could be more or less depending on your region or how you negotiate. You can negotiate that cost as well. So just remember that every market is, is different. So what's normal in your area may be different from what's normal in another area. If you choose to go the for sale by owner route, that means that you do not have to pay a commission. However, you may have to pay other professionals or the title insurance company, or the buyer may actually ask you to pay the buyer's agent fee if they are using a buyer's agent to purchase the home. So those are all things that can to consider just because you're selling yourself doesn't mean that there are no costs there may be significantly less costs because there's no commission there. One of the benefits of using an agent is that they are more objective. They're emotionally removed from your home. So they can look at it and give you pricing that's more in line with what the market is and, and what to expect. You might feel a little more protective of your house or your home And you might think it's worth more than what it actually is in the market that you're located. You might also not respond as well to negative feedback from potential buyers. Whereas when you have an agent, they're kind of a buffer if you do get negative feedback, which can be really helpful. So they kind of lessen the blow when they give you that feedback. They they give it to you in a a salesperson anyway, because they're salespeople. And that's a benefit in this case. You may also not be aware of some of the work that your, your own home needs in order to sell. There are certain types of mortgages that people can pull out that if the house has certain repairs that need to be done, the mortgage will not be approved. And so that limits the pool of potential buyers for your home if you don't know what that is. So a lot of real estate agents do know what kind of red flags to look for. For instance, when I talked to, I talked to three different agents, all of them were like, no peeling or cracking paint, or it's going to immediately be a red flag so that anyone using an FHA loan or first time home buyer loan is not going to be able to qualify for buying this house. So those are things to consider when you're looking at what to repair or whether or not to have an agent come in and give you that feedback. 
you can list your, your home yourself online or by just putting a sign in your yard. I'm sure we've all seen for sale by owner in a lot of yards. And you could, you might even just talk to your warm contacts, people, you know, I've heard of lots of people just selling homes because they talked to people that they know that were looking for homes. And they're like, hey, I'm going to sell my home. You want to buy it? In Nikki's case, that was basically a warm contact sale. She just happened to already own the home with the person that wanted to buy it, <laughs> buy her house. It worked out very well for me. <laughs> so that's kind of like a warm contact sale right there. Ask your brother who you own a home with. Do you want to just buy my half out? I want to move to like Thailand. So that would be great if you could just buy my half the house. So anyway, that's that's another benefit or like it makes sense to go buy like for sale by owner that situation. So if you go with an agent, they will have direct contacts to also get people talking about and looking at your house, particularly if the agent is in your area. So when I was looking for agents, I only looked for agents that were familiar with the area that my brother's home was in. That's how I prioritized who I was going to talk to. Because as soon as you put on your social media, hey, I'm looking for a realtor, everyone comes out of the woodwork. They say like, you can talk to my sister or my friend, or like sometimes it is your friends and have their realtors in other locations. I had several of those situations and it was like, unless you live in Megan County and are familiar with this area, I'm not going to be able to hire you because you don't know this market. It's very different from like South suburbs of Chicago. So just thinking about that aspect of agents being familiar with the area that you're in can be really helpful. They may also have access to something called an MLS or multiple listing service that is specific to your area. And that gives other realtors leads for buyers that they might be working with. So that's another benefit of working with an agent. If you do choose to sell your home by yourself, You'll need to do the research into the housing market to make sure that you don't overprice or underprice your home, which can be kind of complicated. This is something that realtors already know how to do. It's called a market analysis, and they they do it all the time. Usually when you reach out to different realtors, they'll do a market analysis for free for you as part of the kind of, they, they want your sale. So they'll be willing to do that in most cases. There's also a lot of legal requirements that comes with selling a house, particularly around what you have to disclose to potential buyers. Those disclosures are really important. So if you do choose to sell your home yourself, you need to make sure you understand all of your obligations legally. In this case, you might want to hire a lawyer to make sure that everything is good to go. I even hired an estate lawyer to review all my listing documents and all the other documents when the sale actually went through, even though I had a realtor, which was good because he told me I did not have to legally sign one of the disclosures because no one that was selling the home had lived in that house. So it would not be in our best interest to sign that disclosure because we had not, we did not know. And he said, I was not legally bound to actually sign that. Whereas if I had just gone with a realtor, they would have said, no, you have to sign this. But I hired a lawyer and they said, no, you don't. (laughs) So it also is important to recognize that some buyers and even buyers agents will avoid 
for sale by owner homes because they prefer to work with other agents. So if you choose to go the realtor route, make sure to do your research regarding an agent. We already talked about looking up uh, their license through IDFPR's website, which we'll put in the show notes. You can ask for referrals from friends and family. Like I mentioned before, they'll cu- it'll be easy to source for them. And then don't be afraid to ask questions. So personally, I interviewed three different agents and I requested market analyses from each one of them on my brother's home. I also evaluated the entire experience from the time that I communicated with them initially about meeting until after they concluded the market analysis with me. And I went with the one that best met my needs and was the most responsive to me based on what method of contact that I initiated with them. Because if they, if I text someone and they just immediately want to call me each time, I'm sometimes in meetings and I'm texting people. I don't want you to always call me when I text you something, right? So I went with the one that was most understandable about communication, especially since I was an hour away from the home. So it was really important to me that they were responsive and amenable to my needs. Thanks, Andrew. I think that that was a very good overview of of the differences between selling yourself or a realtor. But no matter which way you choose, you are definitely going to have to get your house ready to sell. So this means more than just tidying up your home when you're trying to get it ready to sell. You have to look at your home critically, which Andrea kind of talked about how a realtor could help you with that. There may be necessary repairs that have to be done in order to make your home more marketable and to sell it at a price that you want. Or maybe you choose not to fix things and then lower your price. Like that, that's all stuff that you have to consider. It may be worth it to replace an older appliance or redo a room in order to sell at the higher price. There's also things like painting that may be an expense on you, but is worth it in the long run. So for example, I know the house that my husband and I ended up buying that we're currently living in had been on the market before, a few months before we bought it. And it had an older kitchen with an older refrigerator in it. When it came on the market for us, because it didn't sell at what they wanted. The seller took it off the market. She ended up redoing the kitchen completely and putting in a brand new refrigerator. And then when she listed it again, she had several offers within 24 hours of it being on the market. So we were the first, which is how we ended up getting this home that we love. But real estate agent, like I said, will be able to help you kind of really look at what needs to be done versus what would be nice to be done. But no matter what, definitely a deep clean and a clean out is necessary. Potential buyers will be turned off by too much clutter and lack of cleanliness. So it may cause them to actually wonder what else you haven't taken care of in the home. If you walk in and it's messy, it doesn't give that buyer faith that you have taken good care of the home. I think that All that makes a lot of sense. I actually paid for pre-inspection so that I could better identify what needed to be done from a safety perspective with my brother's house. Since I didn't live there, I didn't know. I did share that pre-inspection with the realtor and provided it kind of as part of the listing. 
And that's not always in your best interest um, to do a, an inspection and then provide, do pre-inspection, but it is sometimes helpful in certain areas. But I just wanted to be as transparent as possible about the sale because I didn't know. And we didn't, we didn't have to legally sign any disclosures. So I was just trying to be as transparent as possible as a sale, seller. But having that info helped my realtor even say what things would need to be fixed so that anybody that was using an FHA loan could qualify to buy the house. We didn't end up doing everything on the list, but we still were able to find a buyer who actually had an FHA loan. So sometimes it's just a matter of like, in your area who's doing the appraisal that is determining whether or not they qualify for that type of mortgage. So there's all kinds of things to consider. Another important piece of selling your home is staging it, which Nikki kind of alluded to with like cleaning up clutter. It basically, staging is basically arranging your home in a way to appeal for to the largest pool of buyers. So some of the tips is to depersonalize it. You want to take out any uh, clutter, like Nikki said, or like taking away too much personal stuff on your walls or decor. Pictures of you and your family or whatever. Yeah. Because they, I've, I've always been told by realtors that are friends that the point is people want to be able to visualize themselves in your home. And if there's pictures of your family and your life, it's harder for potential buyers. That, I think that makes a lot of sense. And when you, you talked about cleaning and decluttering and cleaning, making sure that carpets, floors, everything that can't be emphasized enough. I actually had one of my longtime friends who was a professional cleaner come in and clean my brother's home twice for me. Once at the kind of the beginning of our repairs process. And then once right before the listing went live when they were taking the photos. So right before the photos were taken. So it was as clean as possible when those photos were taken. Also, when it comes to, to paint, a neutral color is usually best. Um, so if you're someone that likes to paint your home with lots of wild colors, my mother-in-law likes pretty bright colors. Colors, they're very subjective for a lot of people. So using a neutral color scheme helps people be able to visualize living in this space. They know I can change the colors of the walls. I can, you know, do all these things. Example, my brother had a yellow kitchen. He didn't paint it yellow. He just didn't care when he moved in. So we went through and we painted every room in the house, this grayish color, and it made it look like a completely different house, but especially that yellow kitchen did not look so wild. And I think that really helped with people visualizing themselves in that space. So my cousin, that's when I lived with a different cousin, her absolute favorite color is red. It always has been. That's her color. So when she was in, I think she was in high school or maybe when she just graduated, I can't remember. But in her parents' home, they allowed her to paint her room. And so she repainted her room and painted one wall bright red. And she was in love with it. She loved it. Years later, when her parents went to go sell their house, it was like the number one thing. Your realtor was like, you have to get rid of this red wall. Understandably so, because it was a bright red wall in a bedroom. But yeah, her dad gave her 
a hard time because let me tell you, getting red painted over took a lot of primer. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I had a green hat, green room in my home. It was like a dark forest green. It was a tiny room. And I was like, it's got to be a lighter color. I don't know how many coats of paint I put on that. And I still feel like I walk in that room and I see green, even though it's gray now. But there are lots of grayish colors that you can choose. That's a good neutral color. You don't want it completely white. It'd be easy to get scuffed up and messed up and be, but grayish is what they call that neutral color that they usually suggest putting on walls before you sell. Another thing to consider is arranging your rooms and your furniture so your living spaces are clearly defined as well as showing off the size of the room. So some people choose to put some pieces of furniture in storage or somewhere else while they're trying to sell their home that they would normally have in that space. I think I mentioned that we did not stage the home that that we sold at all. We just had to move everything out because it was an inherited and I had just had, I had to get rid of all of my brother's things, but I think it made it a little bit easier because we didn't have to like worry about staging the home while we're living in the space and balancing comfort with trying to sell your house. Yeah. I had a friend, one of my best friends actually right before COVID hit, they had decided that they were going to sell, try to sell their house spring of 2020. Like that was what they were going to try to do. So during Christmas break, because she was a teacher, she is a teacher, they started to put things away in storage that they didn't need, that they could live without. But then COVID hit in March of 2020. So that threw all their plans out the window. So I remember my friend being like, I just ordered, like she just ended up having to order like more kitchen utensils that were somewhere in her storage space because her whole life like she was missing stuff that for you know missing it for six months is different than a year and a half later when they were realistically going to be able to put their house up for sale so that was definitely a very unique situation but that's kind of what I think about is when you're staging she was getting ready to stage the house she was decluttering but it wasn't stuff that they wanted to get rid of yeah Um, it was just stuff that in order to have their house sell, they needed to kind of clear out some space. Completely understand. That would be terrible. In order to stage your home, you may want to add some freshness to your home, such as strategically placed plants or some good smelling candles. For whatever reason, when I bought my home, every time that we came to look at the home before I decided to put in an offer, they had venison cooking in a crock pot. And I just wanted to eat here so bad. I wanted some of that good, good chili. Venison. Oh, so delicious. That's very specific. It is unique. very specific and unique. I imagine most people are like, I'm going to put candles out. Not, I'm going to cook some venison. But it worked. I'm apparently a hungry girl. I was say, I mean, like if it was chocolate chip cookies or something, I'd be on board. But like venison chili is not in my... I grew up eating venison, so maybe that's it. It just smelled like chili. Got it. But I knew it was venison. (laughs) Anyway, when we listed my brother's house, I went over to like clean something up. And I think one of the realtors had put a fake plant in the kitchen (laughs) to try to do some staging in this empty house, which I thought was fun. But 
I mean, they're the professionals, right? You want to also make sure your lighting is taken care of. Buyers want to make sure that they can see how much natural light is in the house and make sure it's bright and inviting. We actually took down a lot of the curtains in my brother's home before we listed it. So it was as bright as could be. And we replaced several of the light bulbs that had been burnt out. So we made sure that this light is possible. And then don't forget the outside. Make sure to cut the grass, get rid of weeds. If you have, in my case, my brother had just put a tarp over one of the flower beds because he didn't want to plant flowers and he didn't want to have to deal with mowing it. So we just decided to pull up the tarp and put down some mulch. And that worked well for staging the outside of the house. So like we said earlier, staging is also something that a realtor can help you out with. So that's another benefit of using a realtor. So there are two things that are sometimes mentioned when selling a home. Neither are required, but it may be something you want to do. Both of these come at a cost to the seller, which is why they are optional. The first one, Andrew already mentioned, is a pre-inspection. What a buyer usually will end up having an inspection done on the home in order to spot any potential problems. But sometimes, like Andrea did, a seller will opt to have this done before they put their home on the market so they can be aware of any major issues to take care of before putting it up for sale and to know how that could maybe affect their selling price. The second is an appraisal. Again, a buyer will do this. But sometimes a seller will also want to do it before, so that way they get an idea of how much their house is worth in order to price it appropriately. But again, that's something that if you have a realtor, they should be able to help you price. Absolutely. So speaking of pricing, it will take some research, as we mentioned earlier, to know how much to put your house on the market for. I did a lot of online research before ever talking to any realtors, so I knew what range that my brother's home was worth. And it was a wide range, even within that market. So I had a market analysis from one of the realtors that was on the lower end of that range. And then I had two market analyses that were on the higher end of that range. And looking at their justification was important to me because I knew that that range was so big. And again, if you have a realtor, this is something that they should have knowledge of automatically but you'll want to talk it over with them. Um, if you choose to sell yourself, you'll want to do extensive research like we talked about earlier to know what comparable houses are selling for in your area. Ideally, like in your direct neighborhood, similar amount of features, like amount of bathrooms, square footage, bedrooms, all those kinds of things would be number of floors. Those are things to compare when you're looking at the pricing. Another point to consider is timing when you list your house on the market for sale. So you may want to wait if you're in a bad timing in order to be able to list your home when it will be most likely to sell quickly when people are looking like in spring and summer. Recently, there was a big housing boom due to the effects of COVID and the COVID lockdown. Houses were selling at really phenomenal prices in a lot of areas, but not all areas, making more of a seller's market nationally. And it was incredibly hard for buyers to find a home to buy. However, 
Go I'm ahead. just gonna on this subject. I have a friend who's trying to find a home, and it's been very frustrating because like you don't happen to be there when something goes live. I mean, it's slowed down now, but like it was gone in like two hours. <laughs> just gone well, for prices that were insane. Insane. <laughs> The market in Champaign and Urbana are, is also really insane and crazy. And people are like doing offers on homes many times more than what they would have been two years ago, three years ago. Good it's money. very competitive. However, just an hour away in Macon County, the market is way different. So that was like a point of content because I, I was selling with six different people and when I told them, I gave them the market analyses and I said, this is what I think we should list at. They thought it was low, especially my family in Florida, because we only see what the national market is doing in the headlines. But every market is different. And that market is not performing the same as the rest of Illinois, even, or like compared to just an hour away in my area, the market was performing way different when it comes to housing prices and listing and how fast things are going. It still went relatively fast, but not as fast as what a lot of my family thought it was going to go. So that's just something I really want to emphasize. Every market is different. <laughs> Do your research when it comes to pricing. And a lot of experts now are anticipating that this kind of boom is is going to end soon. Like Nikki mentioned, the market's already cooling down. It's making it more of a, a buyer's market, but it may not be the same in all regions across the state or across the nation. So just keep that in mind when you have certain expectations about how your sell of a house or buying of a house might go. So once you have your house staged and you do your research, the next step is really to get pictures of your space to put it up for sale. Professional pictures are highly recommended. If you just take a look at any of the popular real estate websites looking at homes, you'll be able to tell the difference very quickly from the sellers who had professional photos taken to those that tried to take pictures themselves. Again, it may be an expense, but it's maybe one that's worth it in the long run. Also something a realtor can help you with. Yeah, I was just going to say that sometimes the commission costs of the realtor will include the cost of professional photos. Like in my case, the commission was a little bit higher, but they included the costs of a whole lot of things that other markets and other realtors wouldn't have included in a lower commission percentage. So that's what I didn't bother negotiating the commission because I knew that I wasn't going to have to pay for professional photos. I wasn't going to have to pay like a listing fee. I wasn't going to have to pay all these other fees that might've just piled up. Right. That's a great point. It's it'll be time to put it on your market and wait for offers to come in. You will need to schedule some open houses for people to come look at the home. Maybe you choose to do a by appointment only, but either way, there will be people in and out of your home. In Andrea's case, no one was currently living there. So that's not as disruptive for people who are selling their home and living in their home. It could be a little disruptive. So keep that in mind because it is usually best for the seller to not be present at the time of people walking through the home. It was weird so when I went to look at homes and like, 
it was a rental property and the people renting refused to leave. Steve and I actually looked at a home when we were looking that had somebody who was wheelchair bound in there. She was an older woman and it was just much more uncomfortable walking through. So absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully once it's up there, you'll get the price that you're looking for. If not, you may need to adjust your price accordingly and relist your home. Or maybe you decide you get something close to what you're looking for. You negotiate from there. Some buyers offer a price and the seller counters, et cetera. So there are many factors as the seller that may go into accepting one offer over the other. And it's really up to you and what's best for your situation. So for example, is it within your desired price range? Are the buyers offering to put more money down up front? for you rather than having to get a mortgage and get approved and, and go through all that process. Is it an all cash offer, right? Like I, I know one of my best friend's moms, they sold their house and she chose a slightly less offer because it was all cash because she didn't have to do deal with mortgage waiting for all that. Is your buyer pre-approved for a mortgage? Buyers can get letters saying, yes, you don't have to worry as a seller that their funding is not going to come through. They're already pre-approved. Is it a contingent offer? So that means that they can only buy the house if their house sells. So now as the seller on that end, you, you have to make sure their buyer doesn't fall through because then your sell also falls through. So it's something to think about. So all of these are factors into which buyer you select to sell your home to. Well, and it once you you accept a contract, they take it take the house off the market or putting as a pending sale. So you can't really ex, you can't accept a backup offer in case that one falls through for whatever reason. And it usually takes some time between the offer being provided and the close of this the sale, which could be a month. It could be two months. If it's contingent based on if they can sell their home, it will be months, months, depending on how long it takes them to sell their own home. So there's a lot of considerations there. And then if you have multiple sellers, like in my case, everyone had to be on board before we could accept the offer from the buyer. And then everyone also had to sign it. It was a lot. (laughs) Let's say that your house does get an offer that you want to accept. And what then? So some of the next steps will take several weeks to maybe a month or more to complete. Um, Not all of them are on your plate, but a lot of them are as a seller. So during this time, it's important that you make sure to finish packing your home up make moving arrangements, which are very important. You'll go under contract or accept a contract, sign sign an offer contract, which means that both parties will be signing documents to go on with the sale. It's like a legally binding transaction. There'll also be an initial transfer deposit. The contract or offer will include list of earnest money, which you have reviewed prior to signing the contract, the earnest money is how much money that the um, buyer is willing to put up and lose if the contract fails. 
right? They That is your money if the contract fails. It can be relatively low depending on where you are, but the more earnest money that someone is willing to put down, the more serious they are as a buyer and the more faith they have in their ability to reach all the contract requirements, including like qualifying for a mortgage if they are qualifying for a mortgage or making sure that they do everything they need to do on the, the buyer's end. So that could be another consideration on whether or not you accept the contract. But once you get that signed, the inspection is usually scheduled by the buyer if they choose to do an inspection. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they waive that, especially during this past year and a half. A lot of people were waiving inspections in order to be able to close on the sale of a house. Depending on what is found in the inspection, more negotiations might happen at this point. Nikki, did you have a story to share? So Steve and I actually had an offer down on a home prior to the one that we're currently living in. And we actually ended up canceling our offer after the inspection because there was just a lot of issues with like a lot of the major things in the home. And that was not what we were interested in. So it does happen. Yeah. I paid for an inspection for my home and there were a lot of things but I went through with the inspector and asked questions about all the things that he pointed out, which made me also feel better about being able to cope with or fix those things once I bought the home. There were a few things that I asked for them to fix. They fixed a couple things. They refused to fix other things. At that point, I was so invested, I went through the sale. So the, but there's always room for negotiation there. There's also a home appraisal that will be done. This is typically done by the buyer's lender. Like we had to have an appraisal done on my brother's home, but it was the buyer's lender who scheduled that because it was a requirement of their loan type. The buyer also has to get loan approval. So as we mentioned before, some buyers may come with a pre-approval letter that does not always guarantee that they are going to get a mortgage either because things could have changed since the pre-approval letter was provided. But they have the lender has to do their due diligence and double check everything, look further into the background of the, the buyer, who they're going to lend to. And there are a lot of other specifics that will need to be taken care of. So you as a seller want to make sure that the funding is taken care of because you don't want to get to closing and then surprise the mortgage company didn't send the paperwork that that needs to be provided to prove that the person's going to be able to write that check to you or your mortgage company. Then there's also a closing date. Sometimes this is in the contract. The, the closing date might be in the initial offer contract. They might have already coordinated this. Sometimes it has to be set later. And this is the date that you must be out of the house by. When it comes to the actual closing date, there are a few things that you need to make sure are done before this. So if there's a lien on your home, you need to make sure that that is released, that lien is released from your home. And I had a situation with my brother's home that I found out very soon before I, <laughs> I needed to get it taken care of, like a couple weeks before closing, that there was a second mortgage on my brother's home through the Illinois Housing Development Authority. And it wasn't actually a mortgage. It was a grant. And you would think, oh, it's not really mortgage. But because of the requirements of the grant, there was a second mortgage lien 
on the home and that needed to be released in order to have the sale go through and that paperwork had to be available at closing so we communicated with both the mortgage company the primary mortgage company and Illinois Housing Development Authority in order to make sure that those releases were in place and the information was provided to the title company that was coordinating all the paperwork, which we ended up meeting at the title company. Sometimes your closing will be at your lender, but in this case, it was at the title company. And then on the, the closing date, there will be a final walkthrough for the buyer to make sure that there's nothing crazy going on, then you and the buyer, you as a seller and any other sellers that are on the contract will have to be a closing, sign a whole bunch of documents. There will also be a transfer of funds. So you'll get a check for any amount over what needs to be paid to title company, realtors, the mortgage company or companies that you need to pay off from the sale of the home. Also the recording of the title, hence why ours was in a title company. Uh, and then the official handing over the keys. All of that happens on the closing date at the closing kind of situation. A couple other things that you might want to take care of beforehand is making sure that all the utilities are cut off with your name on them. So I had to do that for my brother's home. I had to make sure that power, garbage, water, sewage, all that stuff was cut off on the closing date so that we weren't going to be charged anymore. Sometimes in some markets, they'll just have the buyer call that day and say, hey, I'm taking over, but you really don't wanna leave that to the buyer. It should, it should be you taking care of your own stuff. Yes. So we, Andrew and I sort of touched on this, but there are things that can go wrong after initially accepting an offer. As Andrea mentioned, they may not be able to secure the funding, which causes the deal to fall through. Maybe the home inspection turns up something that causes the buyer to back out, just like my husband and I had to back out of our first home offer. If you accepted a contingent offer, the buyer's home may not sell and then they can't buy your home. So I always say until the closing date, there are circumstances that can happen or delay the sale of your home. So that's just something to keep in mind as you're going through all these steps until everything is signed and dotted and the money is transferred. Just always be cautious to make sure you're staying on top of everything. I think Nikki mentioned different scenarios of what to consider when you're accepting an offer, like whether or not it's a cash offer or they have pre-approvals. It's going to be a balance as to what you consider accepting, right? So I had family in my situation where they didn't want to accept the offer that we were provided, but it was getting close to the time frame where we needed to drop the price of the home if we didn't accept something. And one of my family members was like, you just need to wait for a cash offer. There's no guarantee of a unicorn cash offer. So it's got to be a balance between the knowledge that you get from discussing what's normal in the market from your agent or what research you've done, as well as like, what is your level of risk tolerance with 
like a contingent offer, right? So it's a balance. There's also all these different factors to consider that might be unique to your market or your situation or your time frame. So those are all things that might weigh into how you deal with contract and closing. And I think selling a home is really overwhelming and stressful, even when it's not your home, <laughs> like in my case. But hopefully this podcast help shed some light on the process and some considerations as you go through the process that might help you think about questions to ask and what you might want to do when selling your home. And again, don't be afraid to ask more questions throughout the whole process that there are many people to ask questions. And we'll also have links in the show notes about places that you can go for additional help as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. If you are embarking on the adventure of selling your home, we wish you all the best. (laughs) And we also hope you're having a great summer and continue to please listen, like, and share making sense of money. Thanks.